Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Now, I told you over a month ago that I was told by a cardiologist that I needed an open-heart surgery because I have a, a congenital heart valve disease. And that's something that I was born with, something that didn't develop later on, but something that had to be addressed. And I remember thinking, oh, good night. But he said, look, we, we need to do some more testing. So he gave me an MRI, which they put some crazy stuff in your veins like nitro, not nitro, but some crazy stuff that just makes you enjoy life a little easier. And, you know, I'm telling you right now, for a pastor that's been on so much drugs in the last three weeks, it is great. <laughs> I totally get addiction. I really do. But anyway, but off that, you, you don't know if I'm high yet today, do you? <laughs> Who knows? Because I'm not feeling any pain today. And so, so what happened on the MRI, they gave me an MRI on Tuesday, and the, the verdict was, came in on Thursday. And Jennifer said to me, she, she goes, do you want to listen to some Christian music? I go, no, it's not going to do anything for me right now. Have you got, got that point where you just don't want to hear, don't want to be inspired, don't want to be, you've gone through enough. And I, and I said, you know, it seems like I'm going to hear a verdict that the jury's in, I'm going to hear the judge, and the judge is going to tell me my verdict. He's going to give me my script. And so when I went there at 10 o'clock, my appointment was at 10 o'clock, and my wife took off, and that's when it's serious. When my wife takes off, she never takes off. So we're both in the waiting room, and I go, ooh, it's 10 o'clock. You know, this waiting stuff is just the pits. And so I was in the waiting room, and I said, well, 
look, they're going to give me an EKG. I was telling Jennifer what they do. They go through this ritual of blood pressure, weighing and stuff. So I, I was sitting there, and she was sitting there, and I was going, oh. So the doctor came in. I go, good luck in reading this guy's face, because you try to read. Usually, like, the jury, when they're going like this, you go, oh, that's going to be cool. But if they don't look at you, you just, well, I, I couldn't tell. So he goes, the MRI start, looks good. Everything's, look, all your testing looks good. The valve is still restricted. But my recommendation right now is to put off the surgery and just say, thank you. And, well, I, I did that more than, and then to evaluate it every three months. And three months of the valve is the same size and come and see me in six months. So this is what happened. <laughs> I started crying. I just bawled. And my wife is going like, oh, get a hold of yourself, dude. Get a hold. And, and so, so when I came out, when I, when I came out, she goes, does Kevin, she didn't say it this way. This, this is how I heard it. Does Kevin need to go for a walk and cry? <laughs> and I go, maybe, you know. And so, but this is what I was thinking about life. Every one of us is given a script, aren't we? We're given a script, but when I was born in 1962, they go, here's a script. This is what your life would, should be. My parents said, this is a script. This is what my son should be like. But when I was in second grade, I was given another script that said, oh, he has learning disabilities and he has tremors. He's disabled. Then I was given another script that I was told that I have cerebral palsy and that I would be in a wheelchair at 18 years old, another script. And so I'm realizing that I'm living other people's scripts, that basically when I wanted to go in the ministry, I was told there's no way you can be in the ministry because this is a script of what a pastor should be like. And so therefore I go, what is my life? What is my script? And so if I were going to go over here and say, this is the script that God has given me. This is what he says, this is my life. As defaults, as disabilities, whatever, this is the script. But we spend all of our life trying not to live this script. Because we're too busy trying to live these scripts. I've had people pray for me, healing you need healing from your tremor. You need healing from your learning disability because how in the world can you be used by God when you have disabilities? So therefore, I thought my script was a mistake. I didn't do this. So then I looked at Scripture today, and I was so fascinated with the Scripture because basically Jesus was walking around to his disciples asking them, what do you think my script is? Because he was asking, who do people say that I am? Some of them said Elijah. Some of them uh, uh, said you're John the Baptist, and they were throwing the scripts out. And then Jesus goes, but who do you think that I am? And Peter, right away, I put it on the screen, you are the Messiah. And he got the script title right, but he didn't get the script right. This is what, what's interesting about this. Because then what Jesus tells them, instead, if I was Peter, I would, on the first one that said he was the Messiah. Yeah, I wasn't going to do some stupid dance, but I would have fallen. I wish I had coordination. I really do. 
And so, so therefore, uh, he said, don't tell anybody. Keep it quiet. And then Jesus read his own script. He said this, follow me on the screen. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Oh my goodness, that was not Peter's script for Jesus. You ever have a script for Jesus? That's why we get mad at God, because he's not fitting our script, right? That's why we don't believe in God. Because if there was a God that fit our script, he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't allow this. And so therefore, we get frustrated. This is where Peter, this is where the first come to Jesus meeting happened. When Peter is coming to Jesus and trying to make Jesus the way he said. And I think Peter would say, nobody's going to follow the Messiah with a death wish. I, I don't like this. Because Peter had a script all set out that what Jesus was supposed to be. He was supposed to conquer everything now. He was supposed to set the free people free now. He was supposed to establish his kingdom on earth now. And, and the thing is, that's what he wanted to do. And he was so mad that he rebuked Jesus. And you know who would benefit the best if that if Peter's script for Jesus was right? Peter, right? Peter would benefit the that's because all of a sudden, if Jesus fit his script, then Peter would not have to go through any suffering. Peter would not have to go through any difficulty. Peter would not have to deal with any brokenness. And I go, oh my goodness, this is crazy if you think about it, because we do the same thing. Lord, make my life easier. You know, I, I've had pity party just after pity party in the last couple of weeks. Because I say, you know, the discipline, now what with the heart? Why the heart? Why this? Why this? Why this? I mean, give me a break. Have you ever done that? I just need a week. I, just, I need a week. Oh, by the way, I'm going to a back surgeon on Wednesday. Because I had to go to the emergency. Morphine is the best thing on the planet, too. <laughs> Because I, cause I, 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 was, I was telling people, two years of restoration or, or morphine in my butt, instantly I was feeling better, right? didn't last, and I was told it was very addictive, but right at that moment I was enjoying it. Went right to sleep. So I'm going to see a surgeon on Wednesday. I'm just going, why, Lord? Why did you give me this script? Why am I doing this? And so this is where, 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 if you follow me, that we, like Peter, often have our scripts for our lives all written out, and we try to force them on Jesus, don't we? And see, this is interesting, because if you look at the 40 days when Jesus was in the wilderness, it says this, Jesus immediately knew the script Peter was trying to hand him after his baptism. He was handing him three scripts three scripts the, the devil was handing Jesus he's trying to change his script you follow me here Peter was trying to hand him after his baptism Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting near the end of the fast Satan came to Jesus and tried to hand him three scripts script number one you are what you do script number two you are who people think or say you are. Script number three, you are what you have. 
boom. If you think about this, I'm going, oh, good night. This is the script our society sells us all the time. And so I'm going, so we gravitate these scripts, and all these scripts, which is based on lies, and accepted by God, uh, and accepted God's will for his life. He hadn't, didn't want anything to do with these scripts. Because these scripts that Satan was trying to sell Jesus are based on our ego, are based on our self-centeredness, our narcissism, whatever it is, are based on ourselves. See, those scripts that Satan was selling is based on an illusion, and it costs a lot of money and time. Do we buy in this lie? Do we buy in this illusion? See, on the screen, the false self or separate self, this is what we call the flesh and the word of God, and I think the, the interpretation nowadays would be called the ego, because the ego protects, number one, it's me. I want my life easy. I don't want to go through suffering. I want to fit into our culture. I want <coughs> to not have to be cleaned up <coughs> after, after, I eat. <coughs> after I eat. No one can hand me water. I had someone hand me water last time, and the, the water was full. And they go, and I couldn't take it. So what they did, they drank half of it and they gave it to me. And I just go, oh, that's gross. So, <laughs> so anyway, just let me cough it out. I'll get over it, okay? <laughs> so, I, I have good intentions. I totally get it. And so, <laughs> I was just going to do it. And so anyway, we look at this on the, on the suffering and the ego in our minds, we don't want the ego to go through difficult stuff. And so we want to skip the suffering. We want to skip Jesus to skip the dying part. And then, and then basically he said, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed. Look on the screen. Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. The literal translation of the Son of Man means the human one. This is also what the name Adam means, the human. Adam and Jesus are representative of all of us. But Adam gave in to temptation and reached and grabbed what looked good to him. Adam wrote his own script, and he turned out tragically. Jesus never gave in to temptation. He did not reach out, out and grab what looked good to him. Jesus rejected Satan's strategy to get him to write a script that would benefit himself. Because he rejected temptation, he faced suffering and death. But through his suffering and death, Jesus brought the reality of resurrection, new creation, and the restoration of all things. See, we all start as Adam, don't we? We accept the script of false or separate self apart from him. See, I, I embrace the Trinity. I just embrace the me, myself, and the I Trinity, you know, the unholy Trinity. And we say it's about me, even in, even in the ministry, that all of a sudden you want, and you, it's about yourself, it's about me. And so back on the screen, something, sometimes something is always missing in our lives. You always feel like you have to do more, be more, have more in order to really live. And whatever you have already achieved, you have to fight to protect. 
It's all about grabbing hold of something you don't have, and then once you get it, holding on to it for your dear life. But here's what Jesus responds to Peter. He called the crowds and his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake of the gospel will save it. And for what will profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their lives? Prior to this, I think it's amazing that Satan is so stinking smart that he knew that Jesus rejected those three scripts. But when what was interesting is that Satan gave Peter the same three scripts to give to Jesus. And that's why Peter, that's why Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because he knew that someone he loved was handing him the same scripts. He was addressing Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was addressing Satan for Satan. And so this is where it's interesting about these lives full of scripts here. And so we want to be first. We want, we want, we, we, we've noticed that I've noticed a lot of Christians in the United States have really never been converted, that I've never experienced the gospel, that I've never experienced the joy, that I've never experienced the freedom in Christ because they bought into our culture that you need to be first in everything you do. Everything needs to be about you. And so therefore we try to control our destiny. We try to control this health. We try to control that we have pills for this, depression, anxiety, or, or something that you're suffering for. And we gotta get rid of it. And we gotta deal with it. And so therefore, if you don't have enough faith, then all of a sudden you're just as messed up because it's your lack of faith that you're not healed from this. There's things in my life, guys, that I'm going to be struggling with the rest of my life. And I'm not talking about the stuff that you see physically. I'm talking about the stuff that I battle within myself. That I, I, I know, Lord, take this away. But sometimes he says, my grace is sufficient. And I hate that. Because I need to depend on him. And it's so interesting, the depth in the last week spiritually. And you guys who, who struggled with cancer, you guys who struggled with, 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 with physical element, elements in your life, you get what I'm talking about. That you're going, dang, dude, life is deep. And, and when you're facing, and you know, that all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, something could happen. My life could be different. Like, all this stuff. You really have a deep, outlook on life so my choice is with this script how do I make it beautiful how do I make it something that I'm proud of how do I make it something that is not going to be elements of my life are not going to be removed and so when the script is more of American gospel this is where we have problems with it and so Satan will try to do anything for us to buy into these three scripts in life and self-centeredness, but instead of embracing our own selves. Look on the screen. 
Jesus is the, is the true human one. He is the map of the human journey. He shows us that resurrection, new creation, and restoration come through the acceptance of necessary suffering. He gives us an example of not avoiding the cross that is in front of us. The only way to get, to get to restoration is by first dying to this false separate self, which always wants to avoid necessary suffering. And as a result, this false separate self ends up unnecessary suffering as it is never satisfied and always needs something to soothe it. True conversion is dying to this false separate self and its script of control. You know, for somebody that's a control freak, and that's me, I really don't have control. I have an illusion of, of control, but I don't have control. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, Jennifer, my wife, she said, you know, you have to have this surgery. It's not like, and I go, I know, but it's like, I know I'm going to die. I'm just not going to die today. So I'm going to enjoy the next three months until, until if I have it or I don't have it. But I'm, go, I'm, going, to, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to... I'm, I have a choice. You have a choice. Do we feel sorry for ourselves? Because we have something that we have control, or do we make something beautiful out of it? That's, that's important to understand, that, that the only thing that I control is my outlook in life. And if my outlook in life is understanding that Christ, my Savior, went through suffering and took a script that was given to him by God, that basically through the suffering, through the dignity, it made something very beautiful out of it that you and I are benefiting from it thousands of years later. On the screen, are you ready to be truly converted? Are we willing to, to let the false separate self die in order to be resurrected into our true self, which is the common self? The common self is aware that it does not exist apart from the whole or body of Christ. It's able to give sacrificially to receive what is sacrificially given for building up and strengthening up, uh, strengthening of the whole. The true common self does not live as if something is missing, for everyone's needed is already provided by the whole body. It does not need to protect what it has because it owns nothing. What it has is a gift freely received and it's meant to be freely shared. The true common self is the only self that is truly alive, and even that life cannot be taken away, even by death. It is known that sacrificial, self-giving love is a power than, than greater than death. It's so hard for me to explain that sometimes what does restore in order to restore? What's going to be different come October 7th? And what comes different is how do we look at our scripts? How do we embrace the script that God has given us that basically says, take up your cross and follow me? And so therefore, I want to introduce you to someone that has a script. Her name is Clara. And this is her script. And I'm going to show it on the screen, and this is how I'm going to end this, this service. But Clara is a, struggles with... Cystic fibrosis. That is a script that nobody wants. 
But I want you to watch this. When you pity people who are sick, you take away their power. But I am sick. I will probably always be sick. And yet I am 100% content and happy with my life. 100%. But, and I have something called cystic fibrosis. But I'm actually not here to depress you all about cystic fibrosis. Um, I'm actually here to talk about how do we change the way that we treat sick people? How do we stop pitying them and we start empowering them? The way that our society works, we teach sick people that when they are sick, somehow, some way, they cannot be as happy as normal, healthy people, right? We teach them that their happiness, their contentment in life, their joy in life is tied to how healthy they are. And I remember I was around seven or eight years old, and I was, I, I was like flipping through this magazine, and there's this really beautiful picture of like this artist in like their New York loft apartment, and I'm sitting there, and I look around my hospital room, and I'm like, I wish I was there. <laughs> and I had a more, I was like, but I'm stuck in the hospital. And I thought, well, you know, there's a Target right down the street that has some twinkle lights and some throw pillows, and I have a room. I have furniture. Why don't I make something out of this room? Why don't I deck it out? So me and my nanny decided to completely redo the hospital room. And I don't mean like just put some pictures on the wall. I mean like completely redo the room. We were like moving around the furniture. I was like sweating. My machines were beeping. The nurses were coming in like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Um, and by the end, we had completely transformed the room. And nurses and doctors from all over the hospital came in to see it. And so every time I ended up going into the hospital, I would deck out my hospital room. I started to realize that people who are sick, and, and nurses and doctors as well, everyone in the medical community, everyone in the healthcare community, have, gets so stuck in this notion that a hospital room is this cold, sterile, white place where we go to be sick. And that that's all that it can be. And we get so stuck in that that we cannot see the possibility. We can't see what we can make out of it don't see what we can do with it. I started realizing that our lives, in a way, are like this, right? Our lives are like empty hospital rooms. We get so stuck in the idea that, oh, it's supposed to be good or bad. Uh, oh, if we're sick, well, you know, that, then, it, then it's, it's cold and it's sterile, and we just have to live with it like that. And we don't let ourselves realize, we don't let ourselves see we can make that hospital room we can make our lives into a piece of art. We all have that ability, we all have that capability as human beings to turn these empty hospital rooms, to turn these lives into something really beautiful. We look at people who are sick and we pity them because we believe that their sickness means their life has to be inherently less joyous than everyone else's.
about the implications of that, because I have lived the kind of life that all of you spend your entire lives running from. I've been sick and dying my entire life, and yet I am so proud of my life. What does that say? No, really, what does that say about the way we're all living our lives? We're waiting to be healthy. We're waiting to be wealthy. We're waiting to find our passion. We're waiting to find our true love before we actually start living. Instead of looking at everything that we have, looking at all the pain, looking at all the sadness, looking at all the beauty, and making something with that. That's how innovation happens. Innovation doesn't happen because there's some person who's in a great circumstance and everything's going well, and like you know, and, and they just get on a roll and they make something for the world. Innovation happens. Art happens because of suffering. And when we clamp down to that suffering, when we teach people who are sick, when you teach little seven-year-old me that because I'm sick, I don't have anything to give to the world, I don't have anything to create. So I want to encourage you all. Next time you meet someone who's suffering, instead of shutting down, instead of pitying them, what do you think? I bet their life is so beautiful. Really look at them and think, I bet their life is so complex and beautiful. We all get to be a part of this giant human epic story, right? We get to be a part of human history. We get to add to it. We have something to give. And we realize it's what we're creating that matters. It's what we're adding to this beautiful story that matters. When we start looking at that, we change the world. Clara passed away three weeks ago. She lived in Venice, California. She lived her script. This is what restored in order to restore is about. It's about reliving, embracing the script that God has given you and making something out of it to help others embrace their script. May God bless you and may God bless his word.